So this week, um, we're in Matthew chapter 11. We've got one more week uh, before we start the new series. And what we're going to be doing in this new series is we're going to be taking a few, uh, several questions um, and we're going to be kind of answering them with the scriptures. Questions like this, because you see that there in your bulletin. Like, so what kind of questions are we answering? What are you talking about? Well, next week we're going to talk about how do we know we can trust the Bible? We say it's God's word. Why? Um, how do we know, can, can we really rely and trust the Bible? We're going to deal with that question next week. And then here in a couple of weeks, we're going, to ask the, we're going to answer this question. Is there really only one way to heaven? And if so, why is that such a big deal? Uh, questions like, um, why does a good God allow, if there's so, so much suffering in the world? How can God be good and there be so much suffering in the world? How can a loving God allow people to go to hell? Um, these nice, easy questions. Um, that, uh, that we're going to answer here in the next few weeks. And then we're going to close uh, with the question, um, what's heaven really like? Um, a lot of movies over the last couple of years, books that have been released, people, hey, I've been to heaven, here's what it's like. Well, guess what? Um, God's already given us a book um, that tells us what heaven's going to be like, and we're going to look at that in several weeks. So there four or five questions there that we're going to be dealing with, just kind of big pressing questions. Some of these are questions that kind of help prevent people from coming to faith. Um, and so good time to invite uh, and invite skeptics and invite people that you're not really sure where they're at um, as we investigate those. And a good time for us to kind of just be, um, um, maybe kind of grow a little bit in our apologetics of how to answer some of these questions and have, all of our, have our own faith kind of, um, kind of edified in the process. So that's starting next week. So this week, we're going to talk about rest. All right, and so we're in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Figured it was a good day to talk about rest because everybody's you know, a little tired coming in here this morning. And if you're like me and you stayed up way too late um, watching worthless football, then, um, <laughs> then you're really tired. And so, um, but no, um, well, you know, you, you win with them, you lose with them, right? So here's the deal. Um, there's really not, nothing much more miserable than being physically exhausted. And I'm not meaning like I, you're kind of tired, you didn't get enough. I'm talking about just physically exhausted but having to press on. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of, I used to wonder, you know, I, I remember as a kid, I would come home from like these spend the night parties where you'd stay up all night and drink way too much caffeine and eat way too much junk food. And then you'd get home about 11 o'clock next day after not sleeping. And then I, I can remember just being so kind of rude to my parents when I was that age. What did you do there? I, stuff, you know, leave me alone, you know, and you go to the room, don't want to be around anybody. I thought, why am I so unfriendly, you know, when I get, it's because I was tired, you know, probably largely. You come back and you're just like, Physically exhausted, and a, you know, I've learned that a physically exhausted two-year-old um, is not the greatest joy. And I, my guess is that a physically exhausted 10, 11, 12-year-old is probably not the greatest joy either. And so, because when you're physically exhausted, uh, you're just, it's just, you're, a, you're miserable, right? And so, and then there's that sweet relief that comes, kind of like when uh, your child first starts sleeping through the night. Um, or that sweet relief after uh, after um, uh, you're you know you're uh, you've been in the hospital and your wife's had a baby and she's exhausted and and you're just exhausted from being there right and 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 they say would you like the baby to stay with you tonight or would you like it to stay in the nursery and you say nursery of course um, <laughs> you don't even have to think about that she's he, she's got 18 years uh, to sleep uh, in our under our roof tonight you can take care of her so because um, there's we need physical rest and we will just about do anything to get it and at some point if you don't give it to yourself. It will be forced upon you because you can't survive without it. And God knew that so much that he actually built it into our week, right? Uh, he didn't need to rest, but he chose to rest. And he gave us a model for what it means, the fact that we're not God and that we need physical rest and that you're supposed to not work every day of the week, by the way, and you're supposed to rest. And that will make your work the rest of the week that much better and make you that much more effective. Well, this isn't a sermon about physical rest, it's a sermon about spiritual rest. Because you need spiritual rest even more than you need physical rest. 
And as miserable as it is to go through life and to push through moments without physical rest, it's even more miserable to go through life spiritually exhausted and without rest. You say, why do I need that? Why do you ever struggle with guilt or shame or fear? You ever find yourself wondering if you really measure up? If you're good enough? If God's pleased with you? Do you ever feel like you're carrying your sins around in a big old backpack and having to drag them and all your baggage from your past around with you? If so, you understand what I mean when I talk about the need for spiritual rest. True spiritual rest, we know, is only found in trusting and following Christ. And here's the thing. Our good works in the Christian life, or, or in life, are, either, are, are lived in one or two ways. They're even lived in an, in an effort to gain rest, or they're lived from the position of having rest. Okay? You know, it's kind of like working for the weekend kind of thing. Uh, you, you either work for the weekend or you have your weekend, then you go to work, right? And so in, in the spiritual sense, you either work hoping to find rest one day and to find peace and to find this, in the Hebrew, shalom, this peace and this rest and this security with God, or you have it and you work from that. It's one of the two, right? We all, we, we're all working from one of the two. And then Jesus kind of addresses this in Matthew 11. And so our text is 28 through 30. Very familiar passage of Jesus, but for the sake of context, we're going to start in verse 25. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Jesus says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So, Jesus here saying this prayer, right? Calling out to the Father. And the first thing He reveals there to us in verses 25 through 26 is that knowing spiritual truth and what we're going to see, finding spiritual rest, salvation, all that begins with humility, right? He's basically saying God has not chosen to reveal it to those who are wise. He does. He's not talking about intellectual people can't come to faith in Christ. But if we're too wise to think we need God, right, or to seek God, then by all means, then we're in trouble, right? We have to humble ourselves like little... G- Children, Jesus is saying, and come to him. Humbly come looking uh, to God for the answers. And then in verse 27, Jesus is speaking to his authority and his unique position as the Son of God. He has a relationship with the Father like no other. He knows the Father, the Father knows him, and he's been in this relationship with the Father for all of eternity. And Jesus says, I'm the only one with the authority to make the offer I'm about to make here in verse 28. And I'm the only one with authority to fulfill that offer. And ultimately, it's a grand verse on just the sovereignty of God and salvation. Jesus clearly says, no one, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. His sovereignty right there as King in this realm. But then in verse 28, He makes an offer that's open to all. Alright? And, and it's one of those verses where you see the tension in the Bible. Sovereignty of God and, and, and the action of man and to, to come to Christ. And people try to debate and reconcile all this. And I like what Spurgeon said. How do you reconcile friends okay so in our view we we struggle and wrestle with this and and the big grand scheme of things god looks at it and it's perfectly reconciled in his mind and so jesus makes this offer in verse 28 to anyone who will take it he says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden that's the only prerequisite that we see all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, three things I want you to see about spiritual rest here in this text. Number one is the need for spiritual rest. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. 
that term there, two Greek words, labor and heavy laden. Labor is the is in the active tense. And it basically means working until you're tired, exhausted, weary. I even saw in one dictionary that it can mean it can mean to lose heart. I mean, that's the kind of work you're talking about. The kind of work that makes you want to give up, that you're tired and you're weary. And it's active. It's something you're doing. Heavy laden is in the passive. It's something happening to you. And it's the idea of carrying a big burden. And so the picture here is not only that you're working hard to the point of exhaustion, but on top of that, you have this 10,000 pounds that's been placed on your back in the process. And so you're striving, and at the same time you're being pressed down by whatever this is that's kind of on your back. Now, we have to understand the context of when Jesus said this and who he's kind of addressing this to. You know, in his day, you know, we know that there was a group of people called the Pharisees that we've talked about several times before in here. And, and they were a layman who had kind of their own interpretation of the law. They even had their own scholars, right, who interpreted the law, had their own oral traditions. They, they had looked at the law and said, how do we find a way to apply this to everyday life? And then they had taken, and they had about six, over 600 ways, that things that you needed to do to adequately apply the law to everyday life, right? And the problem was that they had taken those 600 little ideas, and they had placed them in equivalence with God's law. And so instead, instead of just saying, you're in God's save, for instance, keep the Sabbath holy. And they would say, now here's however many dozen things that if you do these or don't do these things, you're not keeping the Sabbath holy. And they equated their understanding of applying the law with God's law. And so it was just as much a sin in their mind to break that even more so than to, than to not keep the Sabbath in the first place. Hence the reason they would get so ticked at Jesus because he didn't really observe their laws because it was their laws. And so that's kind of the context that you have. Um, when Jesus says this. And so the people of that day had been weighed down by this, right? By this teaching that was going around uh, in that day. Instead of the Pharisees looking at the law and seeing that they could never keep it, no one else could, and that we're all in need of a redeemer, they had just come up with extra rules to help them keep it as good as they could. And Jesus had issue with that. In Matthew 23, 4, Jesus addresses them this way, about talks about them this way. He says, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. There were people who were weighed down by this idea of works righteousness. The idea that you can do good enough things to get favor with God. And so therefore the people of that day, many of them in the religious world, were spiritually exhausted from just trying to get right with God and be right with God and stay right with God. And it was just, it was, it's just, it's this, right? You find yourself doing really good on this commandment, then you find out you've broken this commandment. And it's just constant and it's exhausting because you can't hold it up and you can't bear it up. And on top of the law, which no one, uh, none of us can keep perfectly, on top of that, they had added all these rules. You know, several years ago, I went hiking for the first time and Went one more time and I haven't been since. And I don't mean hiking like get a stick and go walk around for two hours. I mean like get a tent, right? And get a backpack and load it up with a couple of days worth of food and go spend a couple of nights in the woods. And, uh, and so I'd never been. And so we went and, um, and I found out, you know, we, 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 it was, you go in the winter. So the snakes, you know, this is in Alabama. You go in the winter so that, you know, everything's, you know, you don't have to worry about the snakes as much and things like that. And so it's after the first frost and all that. So it's cold. Got your zero degree sleeping bag so you don't get cold when you go to sleep. And, um, and so you, and you have to load everything up. And I'm like, well, this is going to be fun. Get out in the woods. And what I didn't realize is by the time you put the sleeping bag in there and all the food you need in there and all the little things you're going to need in there, that backpack you're going to carry can weigh anywhere from 30 to 40 pounds. Because just the backpack itself weighs something. And so you get that thing on there and you get it strapped on and you get that 30 or 40 pounds on you. Then you find out that you're going on about 20, 22, something like that, uh, mile hike. 
And uh, that doesn't sound too bad over a few days, but with an extra 30 or 40 pounds on your back, that's a lot, right? And so you, we start hiking in the first night. We go hiking in after dark. And we hike for a couple of hours, and then we camp, and then we hike all the next day, and you camp, and you hike all, you know, part of the next day, and you hike out. And what I would find is you would hike for a few hours, and you're just, after, after you know, 10 hours of this, you're physically just, I mean, your back hurts, your feet hurt, you're, you're just tired. And, um, and you pull over beside a stream or whatever to sit down and get some water and get some rest, and you take that backpack off, right? And the way these things are made, they come around and they, uh, and they, and they clip right there to kind of help support your back. And when you unclip that little button, you feel like somebody has placed wings on your back, and you could just fly away when that thing comes off. I mean, you go from, oh, to, I mean, it's just like, and I can breathe, right? That's kind of the. The, the, the picture there, if you've, ever, if you've ever been hiking or know what I'm talking about, that's kind of what it's like. And one thing I can promise you in the last 10 years is I've never thought, you know, I'm tired today. I'm physically exhausted. I, w- I need to find me one of those backpacks, strap it on, and walk around for a couple of days, and I would feel better. You know, I'd feel ready. You know, you say, that wouldn't really make any sense. That's what it's like to go about working and earning and doing all you can to earn favor with God it's like working to find rest. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's not spiritually possible. And that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. This, you're heavy laden, right? All this on top of you is because you're, you're working, you're exerting energy, looking for rest, looking for peace with God, looking for all this sort of stuff. But you can't actually get there doing it that way because you're being exhausted by the very thing that you're doing because you're doing something that's actually an impossible task. It wasn't made to be found that way. Rest wasn't made to be earned. And that's what it's like. And that's kind of the illustration we see here. And Jesus makes an invitation to those who are spiritually beat up, spiritually weighed down. But before you can get rest, you've got to realize you're tired. You won't come to Christ if you don't see a need. As long as you're happy in the false reprieves of the world, you won't be willing to seek rest to rest in Christ. But when you understand your sin and your guilt before God, it will begin to weigh on you. Right? Some of you can remember that when you came to Christ. The, just feeling this, this, the weight of the world that seemed like it was on you up until that Your guilt before God, the weight that seemed like it was on you up until that time. And then when you understood the gospel and you believed it, it was like somebody took thousands of pounds off your back. And like, I can breathe, right? And some people go through a supposed Christian life still with that weight on them. It's never been relieved. Because they're working and looking and trying all they can to find that rest. And some believers, if they're not careful, they'll look real close at that backpack. And from time to time, they'll go over there and try to pick that thing up again. And think somehow it'll make them feel better and more rested if they'll go grab that backpack. That's the temptation. That's the battle we struggle with. That's one of the reasons we have the book of Galatians that has been written to us to avoid that behavior. But apart from Christ, we need to understand we'll be weighed down by sin and by our personal salvation projects. We'll be crushed by guilt of knowing that we can never measure up. You think, well, I'm a good person. If I'm a good spouse, if I'm a good parent, if I'm a good teenager, if I'm a good... Maybe at the end of the day, I can be good enough, right? And then you find out you're never good enough. When you mess up, deep down you wonder, do you measure up? Be crushed by the shame of your past sins, your present sins. Be crushed by the fear of death and hell. No idea of what eternity and life after death holds. And just the fear cripples you. In this text, Jesus offers anyone that is tired and sick and tired of being sick and tired. Tired of doing enough and trying to do enough to feel right with God. He offers rest from your 
works self-righteousness, your works righteousness, offers rest from your sin and your guilt and your shame. He offers rest. And in it, he reveals to us the secret of the Christian life. And the way to rest is the second thing I want you to see. So we see that we have a need. Everybody has a need whether they know it or not. But you've got to fill the need before you'll walk in the way. He says the way to rest is to come to him. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. See, Jesus' remedy is very simple. In fact, for some people it's too simple. Anyone who's tired and exhausted spiritually from trying to do enough good to be good enough could simply come to him. You know, as parents, you probably remember this. And we're kind of getting into that phase now. There's times where you... You'd see your kid trying to do something that you know they can't do. Maybe it's opening a jar. Maybe it's, you know, eat something as simple as turning on a toy that they don't know where the button is. And you just know they, they can't do this yet. It's, they're just not there. And they try, and they want to do it themselves so bad. And you just sit there and you watch and watch and watch. And finally, you know, you're just like, come to me, right? Let me do this for you. You, you can't do it. Just bring it to me. And you, just want, you always want to help, right? Because you see them getting frustrated. They want to do it themselves. And that's kind of the picture we have here. Jesus looking out at us. And we're doing all we can and we're trying all we can to find rest and to find peace and to feel good about our relationship with God. And we can't do anything to feel good about that. And Jesus is just kind of looking at us going, come to me. Let me do it for you. And that's the picture we see here. Jesus is asking us to come to him. He says, true rest is not earned or worked for. It's given. Come to me and I'll give you rest. It's given. See, you give Jesus your sin that weighs you down. You give Jesus your self-righteousness and your salvation projects. And you look to Him in faith and He gives you rest. Rest is not earned. Rest is given. Rest is not worked for. Rest is given. Rest is not a merit. Rest is a gift. Rest is salvation and it's all of grace. The word Jesus uses here for rest can also mean to refresh. It's a rejuvenating rest. It's a life-changing rest. It doesn't stop us from working. It doesn't stop us from doing. It changes the way we work and the way we do. Right? There's a difference in vacation and retirement. One, you go to get rest, then you go back to work. One, you're kind of like, okay, I'm done. I'm checking out. And listen, spiritual rest found in Christ doesn't mean, well, I'm no longer going to do anything anymore. I'm not going to try to obey the Lord. I'm just going to kind of do whatever I want to. No, it transforms your work. Transforms it. It changes us from working for rest to working for God's glory because we have rest. It just flips everything. It gives meaning to our work. And it gives a new purpose to our work. And it gives a new motive to our work. Here's my fear. Some people have the idea that Christianity isn't about finding spiritual rest, but it's actually about the heavy burdens. It's actually about the weariness. People think of, some people think of Christianity as about doing enough and being good enough and working hard enough. Some people try it for a while, then they burn out. That's not Christianity. That's works-based religion. It's not soul-refreshing it's soul crushing. It doesn't give rest and rejuvenation. It'll just make you wear out and retire. We must be careful as a church that we do not, like the Pharisees, lead people to thinking that rest is found in performance. I think the church has to be very careful that we don't do what they did. The role of the church is not to heap up mounds of list and task and prerequisites to what it means to find peace with God. No, it's our role to point people to Jesus and tell them to go to Him, to run to Him. Not come to us, but to go to Jesus. See, Jesus gives them a personal invitation. He invites them to Himself. To Himself. Jesus didn't say, come to me and I'll give you a list of the things you need to do to have rest and peace in your life with God. He just says, come to me and I'll give you the rest. Some of us would like the list. We like lists. Let me work my list, right? 
You're an A-type personality. You want the list. You want to do it. You want to see things are done. You would like to every day be able to check a few things off and know that things are good between you and God because you put the little check mark by the list. I read my Bible today. I prayed today. I talked about Jesus today. I gave today. I did this today, right? And we can check off. And we used to do that, right? I mean, you grew up, right, in church, and that's what you did every week in Sunday school. You checked off all the things on the list that you did. Nothing wrong with that. Problem is, sometimes we do that, and then we go, okay, rest. And then next week, we only checked off two of the five, and we're like, oh, guilt. And we've got to be very careful as a church that we don't look at people and give them a list. Jesus didn't give us a list. He gave us himself. He gave us a person. But we got to act. we got to choose. We have to come to Jesus. We have to turn from our sin. We have to embrace the gospel. We have to believe and rest in Him to get rest. We have to believe that He died for us. We have to believe that He rose from again. We have to believe that it was personally for us. We have to put our faith and trust transfer it from ourselves and from our projects and from the list to Him, to the person. Now, listen to what Jesus says here next. He says, take my yoke upon you. He doesn't just say, come to me. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let me explain the yoke. Now, some of you know this a lot better than I do, you might, if you grew up um, on a farm or anything like that, you're probably way more familiar with some of this kind of stuff than I am, even being from Alabama. But this is what I learned about a yoke. A yoke is a, as you know, a large wooden frame that goes over the, kind of like a collar that goes over the neck of an animal, typically two animals, right? And they get yoked together. We talked about being yoked together, not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And together, they can do more than they can do apart. And so they would take this yoke and they would place it over animals and then they would uh, connect them to like a plow and they, or a load to pull or whatever to do work. They would submit the animal to the yoke. And what they would typically do with these double yokes like this is they would, they would take a stronger, more experienced ox, for instance, and then they would take a weaker ox and they would yoke those two animals together because then they could accomplish more. And this, this ox is learning, right? And he's able to accomplish a lot more with the stronger ox than he can ever accomplish by himself. Now, in their day, it was very common to refer to the law as a yoke because yoke was synonymous with submission, being subject to. So you were yoked to the law. You were to submit to the law. Rabbis would talk about being yoked to their teaching. You were to submit to your rabbi. However, it was impossible for Israel to perfectly fulfill the Mosaic law. It's impossible for any of us to perfectly obey it. And on top of this, the Pharisees had added all their stuff and made it even more burdensome. So in Acts 15, you have a bunch of Gentiles begin to get saved. People that aren't Jews. And then the Christians, who were largely Jewish at that time, have to decide, okay, what does this mean? So they have a big business meeting, right? What are we going to do about all the Gentiles that are getting saved? What do we tell them? Because they don't know all the things in the law. We need to give them the law. And so they get together and they begin to talk about the things that they need to do, the way they need to obey the law. They need to get circumcised. They need to obey the law. They need to give them a list, right? And Peter stands up and says this in Acts 15.10. Why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke... There it is, on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. He says, we haven't been able to do that. We didn't find faith in that. We couldn't perfectly obey the Mosaic law. What makes you think these Gentiles are going to be able to perfectly obey, obey this law? Why take this yoke of the law and place it on their neck and crush them? See, the Mosaic law had a purpose, but it couldn't save. But it does reveal to us the character of God. It does show us our need for salvation. And it does show us the way in which we are to walk. To love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves. It points us the way in which God wants us to live our life. The law has a purpose and it has a use. It's just not to save. It's not to redeem. It's 
not where rest is found. We can't even perfectly com- uh, fulfill the Ten Commandments. Forget all the other stuff. We can just take the list of the ten and put it on the wall and see how well we do at the end of the month. Right? I can start going through the list right now. Right? We get to some of these things, we start getting nervous. Because then Jesus comes on and people are like, well, Jesus, you know, he's come um, and, and done away with the law. No, 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 no. He came and fulfilled the law. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Here's Jesus' commentary on the law. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. Whoa, where did that come from, right? That's not lowering the standard. He's raising the standard. He's saying it's not just about physically what you do. It's about mentally where you go. It's about your heart. It's about the spirit of the law. Raises the standard. And then he fulfills the standard. And so early church had to make a decision, right? Are we going to ask people to obey something we can't obey? Because see, here's the thing. The law comes... And people realize, are supposed to realize you can't measure up. You need to run to God for help. But then the Pharisees create this system to help you measure up and to feel like you've measured up. But then comes along Jesus. The one man, because he's uniquely God and uniquely man, who ever lived who could fully fulfill the law. It can be summed up, as we said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus does that. He perfectly obeys it. Where we can't. Where our righteousness is flawed. Where our, where our list, our checklist is, is littered with places where we miss the box. Jesus is, is perfectly filled out. And the good news of the Bible is that Jesus, as we know, lived the life that we can't live. That the law demanded was lived. And then he died the death that the law demanded must be died because of sin. He died as our sin sacrifice. Jesus came and not only lived sinlessly, he died in our place. He took our punishment. He endured God's wrath. And by faith, when we come to him, trusting in him alone for salvation, it changes everything. See, living the Christian life means when you trust Jesus, you take his yoke. He says, you come and you take my yoke. Jesus didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it. He did what we couldn't. So when we come to him by faith, we get applied to our account what he accomplished. Because you're yoked to Jesus. We get his perfect keeping of the law applied to our account. We get the benefits of his death and resurrection applied to our account. We get his resurrection power in our life. Why? Because we're yoked to him. And that changes everything. See, when you come to Christ by faith, you receive him as your Lord and as your Savior. You take on his yoke. You surrender to him. He says, take my yoke. Submit to me. Right? It's, it's a picture of submission. He becomes the boss of your life. And you begin to, he says what? Learn from me. In the Greek, it's where we get our word for disciple. You come and you follow me. You become my disciple. And he begins to enable you to obey him. Listen, what you find is when you come to Jesus and you trade your yoke and the the yoke of works righteousness for his yoke and you put it on your neck and you look over beside you, there stands Jesus, the stronger ox, who has already perfectly fulfilled the law, who has already walked down this path before. And now he looks beside you and he says, now learn from me. And He leads you, and He guides you, and He enables you to do what you can never do on your own. And you begin to be able to obey, not because of something great about you, but because of Christ who is in you. That's the picture I believe Jesus wants us to see this morning. Is we need to remember that when we got under that yoke, the reason it's light, the reason it's not heavy, is because we look beside us and Jesus is there. He's the stronger ox. He's the wiser ox. He's the one who's been there. He's the one that pulls us along. So positionally, we've come to Christ by faith so that we stand clothed in His righteousness. Left behind trying to be good enough, Jesus has already fulfilled that. Practically, the Bible teaches when I trust Him, He gives me the Holy Spirit to help me 
He teaches me and more and more to trust in Him, to rely on Him, to follow Him. He enables me to obey. He changes my heart. And my position in Christ should have practical impact on how I daily live my life in Christ. Now, this is kind of what Paul was driving at in Galatians. Very familiar verses, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Let me read it to you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, when you come to Christ, you begin to love God. And you begin to grow in that love. And you begin to love others and are growing in that love. And the things that you used to not have the power to do, you start to find out that Christ in you provides the power to do. Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by Christ who lives in me. I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God. That's how we live this life. We realize and understand that Christ lives in me. And He's enabling me. And I live by that faith that, of what Christ has done for me and resting in Christ's help. However, God's moral standards didn't change. As we said, you can read the Sermon on the Mount and understand that. But being yoked to Jesus doesn't mean we no longer have to obey God. It means you have the power to obey God. Not perfectly, not yet. We still have a flesh that we battle. Right? We still struggle and we still fail. But things are different. Oh, things are different. Supernaturally different. We must not fail to remember that conversion is not some mental checklist anymore. That's just like works righteousness. We, 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 well, let me do this, do this. Oh, just give me three things to believe. Okay, I believe. No, it is a supernatural thing that happens inside the heart of the human being when the Spirit of God moves on their heart and they repent of their sin and they believe in Christ. And the reason we can stand up and we can say life change happens when Jesus happens is because it is a supernatural work that happens in the human heart. It was just about, well, I believe three things and it's supernatural. When you believe, when you genuinely believe, it changes everything. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. We believe that. That's supernatural. God coming to reside in you, to work in you, and to work through you. That's the kind of crucified life he's talking about in Galatians 2.20. And then Jesus tells him, he says, listen, you need to come to me and take my yoke and learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Unlike the Pharisees of that day, they weren't gentle and lowly in heart. They were crushing people. And Jesus says, but I'm gentle. I lovingly lead you. He doesn't simply say, here's the law, good luck. He says, hey, here's the law. I've already obeyed it and kept it. Now let me help you to obey God. It's totally different. He's the only teacher. I mean, think about this. When's the last time that you had a teacher, or if you were in college or high school or whatever, sent in front of you and said, you're going to learn from me this semester. And you went, oh, that just feels so rejuvenating and restful. No, no. you know, they're not restful about school, right? About, about learning and, and, and reading and writing papers. It's exhausting, right? And Jesus looks at you and says, come learn from me and you'll find rest. That doesn't even make sense, right? Except that it does with Jesus. Because what we find out is we're yoked to him. And he is working in us and he is working through us. And it's restful because we're not alone anymore. And we're not trying to do it on our own anymore. And we're not working for rest. We're working from rest. See, everybody's yoked to something. You're either out there on your own trying to be good enough. Yoked to your own self-righteousness. Yoked to your own morality. Maybe you've yoked yourself to success in your career. As your identity and rest, and you're submitted to that idol for hoping it brings you the peace you're looking for, your bank account, your love life, pleasures, all these, there's all kinds of things we can yoke ourselves to. But in the end, those things ring hollow. They can't bear the weight of eternity. Love this quote. John Popper says Other shelters offer rest, other yokes seem easy, other burdens feel light. They are all an illusion in the end, they enslave and destroy. 
Only Jesus gives deep and lasting rest and joy. And that brings us to the last thing I want you to see here. And that's the joy of rest. He says, you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Easy there, more literally means kind, good, benevolent. He doesn't, I mean, Jesus tells us to do hard things. Christian life is no cakewalk. I mean, it, it's, it, there's a wrestling and a struggling and a fighting in the Christian life. And then there's a rest in the Christian life. And these things, kind of, they go together. Because you're resting, and, so you're, and then you're fighting for that rest. Because you have that rest. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy. Not meaning that you won't suffer. Not meaning there won't be hard things in the Christian life. But it's good. It's benevolent. It's kind. It's easy in the sense of, it doesn't rub on your neck. And make you completely uncomfortable and miserable. Because now, you're trying to do it on your own. And get right with, and stay right with, and be right with God. And he says his burden is light. Because we know he has carried the burden. And we know now he helps us carry the load, the manageable load that he's given us. He enables us to obey. But how many people are trying to live the Christian life without Christ? There's no joy because the yoke is harsh and the burden is heavy. Heavy. See, with Christ, when we're resting in Jesus, he begins to change our behavior, as we said. And he also changes our motives. And we no longer strive to obey in order to gain but because we have and we want to glorify God. And so obedience is no longer a drudge. It becomes a joy. See, work-centered salvation says I'll work hard and do good so that one day I can rest easy in God's presence knowing that I'm loved and accepted. Christ-centered salvation says I'm accepted. I'm loved. Therefore, I want to work hard. I want to obey because I love God now. It's totally different. And many times Christians and unbelievers both strive to obey, but they're doing it for different reasons. An unbeliever may even profess to be a believer, works to obey so that they can have that peace and have that rest. And so the burden is heavy. The believer is working from that rest, and so the burden is light. And so this brings us to 1 John 5, 3, which I think goes very well with what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28, 30. John says this, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. See, God's love, when it is shed in your heart and life through Christ, enables you to keep his commandments. And his commandments, it says, are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. When the love of God has been shed in your heart and life through Christ, God's commandments are no longer burdensome. But let me tell you, before you come to Christ, they can be burdensome. They can make you miserable. Because all you see is obey, and all you can say is, I've tried. But when you come to Christ... Because the burden is light, because the yoke is easy, they're no longer burdensome but a joy. Let me ask you, is God's word a bummer to you? You know? Is it a bummer, right? And when you look at it, you kind of, and you just think, oh, and it just kind of weighs you down? That is a symptom of works righteousness. That is a symptom of not understanding the gospel in Christ. That is a symptom of not resting as you should. And for the believer, listen, that is a symptom that we're getting away from the faith that we understand and understand that we know that what saves us is faith in resting in Christ. And kind of like the Galatians, we begin to wonder, well, maybe now I need to strive by the flesh instead of by the Spirit. It's, it's a symptom of that. God loves you enough that He doesn't simply say obey. He says, let me help. That's the Christian life. 
Jesus is with you, enabling you, lovingly leading you. God's love in your life through Christ transforms obeying God into joy. There's freedom and joy and obedience for the Christian. Here's the million dollar question. Is that the kind of Christianity we have? If you do not know Christ today, you need to understand that's what Christianity is. It's coming to Christ in repentance and faith, trusting Him to take your sin. We repent of our works, right? Our self-righteousness. We repent of our our rebellion against God and we, we give all that to Jesus and He takes and He gives us all His righteousness and He credits to our account His death in our place on the cross and His resurrection and we rest in Him and what He's done and we understand something. When we rest in what He's done, it changes what we do and why we do it. And this is where rest is found for the soul. It's not found in good behavior in church and religious activities. It's not found in money and power and pleasure or success or anything else the world promises. It's only found under the yoke of Jesus and trusting in Him. And believers need to be constantly reminded today that you have been crucified with Christ, that Christ lives in you, and when you came to Christ, you came under His yoke, you submitted to Him, and He doesn't just look at you and say, Good luck! And sends you out there. He is with you in the yoke. And so when we're struggling and when we're failing to obey God. And when God's commandments begin to feel more like a burden than a joy. It is for one main reason. It is because we are working in the flesh and not by the spirit. We're not working by Christ in us. We have forgotten we are yoked to Christ himself. And not just to what he's told us to do. That he is with us. Pulling us along. Enabling us. And we begin to try to do it on our own. And think the Christian life is all about us. When it's not all about us. Salvation wasn't about you. It was about God saving you. Salvation's of the Lord. And the Christian life living it is also Christ living through you. It's Christ living through you. And that's the secret to the Christian life. And anything other than that is not just hard. It's impossible. It's impossible. And it's spiritually exhausting. Because when we come to Christ, all of our doing gets transformed by what He's done. Apart from the presence of Christ. Apart from Him working in and through you. Impossible. So here's our invitation this morning. If you don't know Christ, maybe you have thought for years that you have, but if, you, if you've never genuinely rested in Christ, if you've never stopped working for salvation and rested in what Christ has done, then today, do that. I encourage you, run to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Him and let Him give you rest. For believers in this room today, the invitation is simply this. You need to remember you're not alone. If you're tired and spiritually worn out, you need to remember that Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Not come to me and I'll wear you out. We work and serve and obey and we strive for faithfulness and strive for faithfulness to God's word, but we do it from a